Am I the only one who thinks that prescription drug commercials are funny? In the 1990s, the FDA, the Federal Drug Administration, stipulated that drug manufacturers need to include all the side effects of their products when advertising them. Now, that might be, that might be overkill for some products. I'm not a pharmacologist, I don't know. But it also, it might, it also might be exactly what we need for other products. But the result is, has got to be a marketer's apocalypse. These poor marketers, these poor, I mean, they had to make these commercials where the protagonist of the commercial is somebody who would take the product and then they have to like show this idyllic, perpetual sunset lifestyle while the narrator, like the poor narrator, <laughs> like look at the script and like, you better double my pay, <laughs> has to like nonchalantly list all the horrific ways you could die if you take this product. <laughs> Clunestiform. Side effects may include eyeball loss. Your child befriending a rabid armadillo. Minor cranial explosions. Other side effects may include, but are not limited to, J.J. Abrams releasing an alternate ending to Lost. <laughs> Angry outbursts spoken in Dutch. <laughs> or the nuclear militarization of North Korea. Clunastiform. Speak with your dentist to see if this toothpaste is right for you. <laughs> Whoa, what is in that toothpaste? <laughs> but it is better to be candid. It is better to be candid both with toothpaste and especially with the Word of God. Let us not present only the pleasantries of Scripture, true as they are, and hide the fine print about God's wrath for sin such that the people to whom we minister would find out standing in judgment before God altogether too late. Why didn't the Christians in my life tell me about this? Why didn't they warn me about this? Matthew 7 describes the scariest thing in the world to me. Somebody who thinks they're a Christian, but they're not. They stand in judgment before God. Matthew 7 teaches, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. And they'll say, say to me on that day, but Lord, didn't we perform many miracles in your name and in your name drive out demons? And I'll say to them, away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. But the people in our lives to whom we minister, yes, we're all ministers. If you're a Christian, you're a minister. My ministry context is obvious. But so is yours. One of the lost ethics of, one of the lost uh, solas of the, one of the lost values, rather, of the Reformation is et vocatio, that you administer right there in your vocation. As a software engineer, you administer to Microsoft. As a rocket scientist, you would convert all of Boeing. As a marketer, you administer at Amazon. So you stay at home, there's your ministry domain right there. We're all ministers. My job is to equip you for that ministry. So as you do, don't hide the fine print of Scripture. Proclaim the word of God to the people in your lives so that none of them would stand in judgment before God, shocked. May they know exactly what the word of God says. Don't hide the fine print. 
Share with them the whole counsel of God. Paul, writing to Timothy, to coach him to pastor the church at Ephesus, gives him these final words, the book of 2 Timothy. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter four. As you're turning there, consider, consider the church at Ephesus. We see it in the book of Acts, sort of becomes home base for a lot of ministry. We see the pastor of the church at Ephesus. I mean, it was planted by Paul in conjunction with Priscilla and Aquila, and now Timothy's the pastor, and we get to read as Timothy is trained to be the pastor of the church at Ephesus. They get their own book of the Bible, the book of Ephesians, and then they're written to again, the book of Revelation. And the letters to the church is the opening of Revelation. Church at Ephesus is mentioned there. I believe the letters to the churches, the opening of Revelation, were letters to churches, to the church at Ephesus. Now, just like we benefit from reading as Paul writes to Timothy, we benefit as the Holy Spirit, Jesus, right there, ministers to the church at Ephesus. Because there are times when churches collectively could resemble the church at Ephesus, could resemble the church at Thyatira, could resemble the church at Philadelphia or Smyrna. And individually as well, there are times when we, like the church at Smyrna, need to know that persecution's coming. And churches, like the church at Smyrna, we need to know that persecution's coming. But in their original context, there were letters written straight from Jesus through John to these churches. Here's what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven gold lampstands, those are the seven churches written to, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, the rubric by which Timothy was to measure true elders, true deacons from the false apparently worked well because Jesus commends them. Do you see that in verse two? They even did the same thing with the apostles. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Okay, good work, Timothy. Do what Paul instructed you to do and equipped others to do the same. But they forgot their first love. They let sin creep in and they're told to repent and do the things they did at first. And the warning is that I will remove your lampstand from its place. You will lose your influence. What remains of the church at Ephesus today? Nothing more than a stone and an inscription. Let us heed the warning of this letter to the church at Ephesus. Let us not repeat their mistakes. Let's go back and let's hear from Paul as he wrote to the pastor of the church at Ephesus, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter four. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, there's that blessed contrarian voice, yes? 
Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come, for I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Oh, what a beautiful legacy. To fulfill your ministry with a good conscience and know that you are going to be rewarded with the crown of life and you stand in judgment before God. It's only fair as well because he knows he's gonna face judgment and he has just evoked that same judgment upon Timothy in the opening verses with his charge to him. Verse nine, do your best to come to me soon for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. Again, as we covered these closing verses in our very first sermon on 2 Timothy, that's profound because Mark and Paul broke company. They broke fellowship and parted ways in the book of Acts. And now in his last letter, he just wants to be with Mark. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come back, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. He's not holding bitterness. He's just coaching his boy. You understand? Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Again, he's not harboring bitterness. He's hoping that they're not judged for their desertion. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa, also known as Priscilla and Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come to me before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the others, all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. As we talked about before, it's beautiful. Paul is telling Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Now, what was Paul's ministry? To bring the gospel to the Gentiles. This is the very proclamation that got him in trouble before the Sanhedrin. In the book of Acts, standing before the full council of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the, the law writers, he proclaims he's been appointed by God to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, and he gets nearly torn apart because of it. That's his ministry. That's his calling. That's what Ananias told him. That's what he's spoken, that's what's spoken over him. You're my chosen instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. It reminds me of Hosea, whose whole life was one metaphorical, one allegorical picture of what God was doing with Israel, even when Israel was unfaithful to him. Likewise, Paul the apostle, the consummate Jew, through Beit Sefer, Beit Medrash, Beit Talmud, a Pharisee tutored by the rabbi Gamaliel. I mean, the most esteemed of Jewish pedigrees. He embodies the ultimate Old Testament man, and he is the one who's been called to minister to the Gentiles. It's a picture of the transition from the Old Testament to the New, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's almost as though God is sovereign or something. <laughs> and now, as he tells Timothy to fulfill his ministry, proclaiming his ministry once more to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, it seems like a bunch of logistics. Hey, get my cloak, get the parchments, 
My, bring my iPad. But look at the names. They're all Gentile names. I wonder if that was even lost on Paul himself. That he's gonna, he's run the good race, he's fought the good fight. Timothy, fulfill your ministry. I'm gonna reach all the Gentiles. And could you please tell this Gentile and this Gentile, and also this Gentile says hi, and this Gentile says, says hi. I wonder if it's even lost on him, I don't know. But I think it's beautiful because he can in good conscience tell, tell Timothy to fulfill his ministry because Paul has fulfilled his. Let's go back and look at this charge because it is weighty. It is heavy. It, I, you never see Paul talk like this elsewhere in scripture. I mean, look, look, at the, look at the weight of these words. This is the heaviest card you could possibly play. I charge you and the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Wow. That is the most impressive wind-up ever. I mean, he evokes God and Christ Jesus to judge the living and the dead. When somebody reminds you of your mortality while charging you, you ought to listen. I charge you for God and Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, that same judgment that he knows he will receive the crown of life for, as indicated in verses six through eight. Also evoking the very appearing of Jesus and the whole kingdom of God, just for good measure. Ultimate wind up, the weightiest, weightiest of prefaces of all the things Paul could charge Timothy to do with such an impressive wind-up. What is it in verse two? Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. Now put on your glasses, look closely at your verse two. Does it say preach the word? Preach the word unless it's offensive. Does anybody's Bible say that? Preach the word except for the difficult parts. Anybody? Preach the word unless it's politically incorrect. Anybody? Anybody's Bible say that? If so, there's a trash can by the door. We'll get you a proper Bible. Preach the word unless it's culturally offensive. Anybody? No. Preach the word unless it offends half the congregation. Anybody? Good. <laughs> Preach the word. Preach the word. That's his commissioning. Before God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and that of his appearance and his whole kingdom, the kingdom of God, Timothy. Preach the word. That's Timothy's commissioning. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. In season and out of season. Preach the word, ready in season and out of season. This is profound because he just got finished at the end of chapter three, making this soaring statement, all scripture is breathed out by God and useful for teaching, rebuking, training in righteousness so the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture is breathed out by God. That's why we at Highlands Community Church go through all scripture. As individuals, we read our Bibles through our Bible reading plan available at the front desk if you need one. And as groups, we get together and we study passages. And then here in corporate worship, collectively as the body of Christ, we preach other passages, typically the most offensive ones. 
So whether it's as individuals reading on your own, groups studying and applying, or here corporately preaching, we go through all scripture and we're on a plan to go through all scripture from, from middle school ministry all the way to the cemetery, every book, every nine years, all at the same time in lockstep with each other. It's our plan. So you don't just learn it as an individual. You're not a bunch of individuals sitting there side by side. No, you are the body of Christ. So we do read our Bibles on our own, but then we apply it in groups, hold each other accountable, and then we preach it corporately together, the body of Christ assembling in the ecclesia. I charge you, preach the word in season and out of season. There's no off season for Christianity. Did you notice that? There's no off season. All right. We're going to stop believing for a few months. Ugh. Man, that was a good run, right? All right, I'll see you guys in August. No. <laughs> in season and out of season. When it's comfortable and when it's awkward. And it's often awkward. <laughs> Whether you feel like it or you don't. In season, out of season. Preach the word. By the way, heads up, staying true to the word will actually cause you more problems. Does that bless you today? I mean, if you're a heretic, you have more friends. <laughs> you could forsake the truth of God and offend fewer people. All right, that's an option on the table. In fact, that will sell out arenas. That's a booming business financially to get in on if you want to. All right, alter, water down the word of God, disarm God's army, call them at ease even while they are amidst warfare. No, it'll, be, it'll never be convenient to correct people with the Bible. There's never gonna be a day where you're like, you know, now's a good day to offend my friend. That's never gonna happen. Be ready, in season, out of season. <laughs> in Seattle, mostly out of season. <laughs> it will always be awkward and your personal life will always be under attack on the eve of your message. Be ready, be ready. There's no off season here. All right, it's never gonna be easy, but I've seen firsthand this past week how when you do preach the word, in season, out of season, convenient, inconvenient, perfectly in, in context or really uncomfortable and awkward, the word does not return void. In the opening sessions, some students who lived lifestyles that were very opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ the student very proudly and publicly proclaimed a gay lifestyle. And throughout the whole course of camp, I was preaching to their eyebrows. Like the opening sessions, that was what I got. Right? And I'm so glad that we didn't back down. I'm so glad we didn't back down. We went there, we talked about gender identity, we talked about sexuality, we talked about Mormonism, we talked about what the word of God says, we talked about all of it. We let the Bible speak and spoke about sin and the consequences for sin. One of our leaders came to me and said, I've got this guy, he's a troublemaker, but he's also an influencer. Isn't that the way it always goes? <laughs> and I'm trying to tell him about the grace, I'm trying to tell him about the grace, it's just not, it's not working, he's not listening. And I said, well, look, everybody loves the second half of Romans 6.23. Everybody loves the second half, right? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. How could you not like that? But some people just need the first half. 
The wages of sin is death. Oh, okay. And this leader went and shared that with that student. He gave his life to Jesus Christ and then two of his friends followed. And this same student, the same student as well, who very, very publicly just professed the gay lifestyle, frowning at me multiple sessions, also stuck around for a lot of the questions. And I'm so, I'm so impressed by that, by the way, that a student who lives a lifestyle that's very different from Christianity would like hear what the word of God says. The Holy Spirit was drawing this student forward. At the end of one session, a student came running up the aisle, collided with me, soaked my shirt with tears, gave their life to Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad our team didn't back down? Aren't you glad we didn't back down? Aren't you glad our team, ministers of Highlands Community Church, preach the word? Because man, praise God, the captive is free. It's beautiful. A sinner forgiven for God. Wow. Be ready in season, out of season. Amen. Reprove is the next word. When you give directions, okay, like, you know, if you're one of those people who has this inferior device called an iPhone with Apple Maps, <laughs> you know you use Google Maps on your iPhone. You know you turn it into an Android. By the way, if you'd like to see what your next phone's gonna have, you can see mine. Mine's two years old. The next version of your phone will do what mine does. I saw a commercial for your phone. It advertises a, 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 a feature that my 2013 Galaxy had. So if you've got an iPhone, you've got to give somebody directions, like it's 1954. When you do that, suppose that you give them a proper series of like, a proper sequence of right and left turns, and all the turns that you give, all the directions you give are correct, except the first one. Is, is it any good to give almost good directions? <laughs> well, I, I, gave, I, I, almost, I, I almost gave you the right directions. <laughs> I'm in Kansas. <laughs> All right, how, many, how many sailors are in the room? All right, a few of you? Okay, for the rest of you, there's this thing. It's called sailing. <laughs> what if your compass doesn't quite give you true north? What if, it, what if it's just like five degrees off? You end up on the wrong continent by the time you're done. It's no good to give almost good directions. A compass that doesn't have true north has like what, false north? I don't know what you even call that, non-north? It's no good to give improper directions. The reason that we reprove is so that people might get back on course, give, be given proper direction. The whole idea of reproving is so they would get back on course. Come on, and, and no longer be under the wrath of God, but now under his grace, his mercy. That's why we reprove, rebuke. Like the time Pastor Matt Chandler of the Village Church was invited to speak at a conference and they immediately regretted inviting him. Because <laughs> he got up and just defied the false teaching that came before him and told them, you're trying to take the glory of God for yourself. Boom, 2 Timothy 4. He was not invited back. Rebuke. When necessary. This is awkward. This is difficult, isn't it? Do you remember what it was like to be a little kid in the 90s? How many 90s kids are here? 
Do you remember what it was like when you're a 90s kid, your little kid, and you're playing with your cousin Chad? You know, your cousin Chad? Your cousin Chad. And you and Chad are outside playing, and you go inside for a Capri Sun? You know? And then there's Aunt Sharon, and she's taking care of baby Caitlin. I still call her baby Caitlin. I officiated her wedding last year. I still call her baby Caitlin. She's Chad's baby sister. And Aunt Sharon tells me, hey, you gotta go tell Chad he's in trouble. Because I told him to stop doing this and this, and he still did it, so he's in trouble. You gotta go tell him. Oh. Do you, do you remember that moment? You remember that feeling? You set your dunkaroos down. And you know what you've gotta do. You know what you've gotta do. I need, oh, I need some support. So you, you, you pump up your Nike Air Maxes. <laughs> you put three packs of Gushers in your pocket, one for you, one for Sarah Bear, one for Chad. You're gonna pretend like the one for you is your first one, but you really had another one with your Gushers. Do you know what I'm talking about? And you go out and you talk to Chad and tell him, listen, you take off your Darth Vader mask and come down, I got news. And you finish your blue raspberry, squeeze it, and wipe your mouth, your Mighty Morphin Power Rangers t-shirt. Difficult moment, this is bad news. And for a minute there, the thought crosses your mind. It'd be funner if I just don't tell him and then we can go back to playing. But then what, what do you do to Chad? Because when he goes home, he's gonna stand in judgment. <laughs> and you didn't tell him, even though you knew. And so you work up courage you ask yourself, like, what would Michael Jordan do? Tell Bugs Bunny and Space Jam. And you do your, you, you, you imagine Coach Emilio Estevez telling the Mighty Ducks to form the Flying V. And you do an impression of the president on the movie Independence Day, which is way above your age range, but you have it memorized. Not the most recent one, the good one with Will Smith. And you tell Chad, you're going to live on. <laughs> you're going to survive. <laughs> but you're in trouble. You got to go see your mom right now. And then Chad, still wearing his Darth Vader mask, head slumped, lightsaber dragging through the sand, <laughs> goes inside, speaks to mom runs back out full speed, now repentant. Isn't it better? Isn't it better? Isn't it better? Isn't it more loving? Aren't you a better cousin for having delivered the difficult news? You sit across the bistro table from your friend at the coffee shop. Look, you know what I believe. We've been friends for a long time and I wouldn't be a friend to you if I didn't show you this and I'd be so honored Look, I bought you a latte. Is that worth one verse? If it's a latte per verse, I'll buy like 12 lattes. If that, that's what it takes for you to just read this. This is Romans 10, 9, and I would love it if you just read this, and I, I'll do the best I can to answer any questions that you have about it. 
There are three at the table in that moment. Did you know that? There are three at the table. That's my impression of like a subdued person. Because when I evangelize my militant atheist friends, I tell them, prepare to be converted! (laughs) I know that it's awkward to reprove, rebuke, but isn't it ethical, isn't it better? Don't withhold the fine print, share what the word of God says. Don't dilute the medicine because it's what alleviates the toxin of sin. Don't mitigate God's word. Don't highlight only the positive beauty of it. Warn people of God's wrath upon sin as well. Tell them about the wrath for sin and invite them into the grace. The ark door is still open even as the rain falls. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Quick survey, immediate knee-jerk response. Okay, you can't think about this too long. How many of you have your, do not have your license plate number memorized? Hands up. Oh, it is pandemonium. The Hobbit sold 100,000 copies. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, that's the original title sold 130 million copies. Lord of the Rings sold 150 million copies. The Bible sold over 5 billion copies. It is ubiquitous, it's everywhere. But apparently, given what we know about license plates, people haven't read it. It's everywhere and we see it every day. Think about this, in Washington you have two and they both say the same thing and you don't know what it says. You see it on your way to your car to go to buy milk and then you see it on the back tag as you go up to your car in the parking lot and then you see it again as you go back out the door because you forgot diapers and then you get in the car and go to QFC and you see it again on your way back as you come home with the diapers. So four times, two products. (laughs) And it's what, like seven? How many characters in a license plate, like seven? See, we don't even know. It's gonna take forever to get out of the parking lot today because everybody's gonna be like. (laughs) We see it every day. It is obvious, it's everywhere. But we don't know what it says. Like the word of God is the best-selling book ever. It's available in your pocket right now in multiple translations in multiple languages. But the world doesn't know what it says. So teach them the word in season out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Do you see the itchy ears imagery? The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, will have itching ears and will accumulate for themselves, verse three, teachers to suit their own passions. I've got this itch in my ear and I want the preacher to scratch it. I, want, I, I just really want him to say that I'm gonna be financially prosperous. I just want him to tell me that. I've got this itch I want him to scratch it. I just, I want you to say that. And if you don't say it, I'm gonna go somewhere that will say it. Like I want, I've got this itch in my ear and I want, Pastor Jesse, I want you to tell me that God's okay with my sin. I've got this itch, I want you to tell me that. And if you don't tell me, I'm gonna go find somebody who will. I've got 
itchy ears. And people will accumulate for themselves teachers who will say what they want to say rather than what the word of God says. Man, do you see what I mean about 2 Timothy reading like it was written yesterday? People will not endure sound doctrine but will prefer and accumulate for themselves false teachers who will scratch the itches on their ears. Tell me what I want to hear, not what the word of God says. Don't reprove, don't rebuke me, only exhort me, only encourage me. I have itchy ears, I want you to scratch that itch, preacher. But instead, what Paul tells Timothy to do in verse five is endure suffering. Endure suffering, that's unpleasant. Let's skip it, shall we? (laughs) It's funny, because there are some churches where that would get a hearty amen. (laughs) Whew, dodge that one. Next passage. Where's the money? Endure suffering. Cindy Lindsay, thank you so much. You made the card that I wanted. Do you guys remember when I talked about this card that said, that just in, in beautiful gold cursive on the front over a sepia tone sunset dock scene that just said, suffer, <laughs> period. <laughs> Y'all watch out. If you're on my next round of hospital visits, I might show up with that card. <laughs> hey, here's my ministry to you. <laughs> suffer. Oh yeah, don't forget, you were missing your tithe. (laughs) But isn't that a biblical message? Endure suffering. Endure suffering. What's God's will for me right now? Sometimes it's you endure, you persevere. Sometimes it's God's will that you would consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because these testings of your faith, they develop perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So endure suffering, Christian. Endure, press on, persevere. Know right here amidst the flames that he's with you and he's faithful to the end. He will never leave you or forsake you. So be strong and courageous. Endure suffering. Endure and persevere. Do the work of an evangelist. At camp, this became a joke. 13 sessions, all of them with the gospel. From the weekend to weekend, everything in between, they all share the gospel. And we'd have, we'd get, get together as a team to plan the service and I'd say, you know what I was thinking? I think I might share the gospel, the sermon. And then the very next meeting, guys, I've got an idea. Let's share the gospel. Next session. We share the gospel? And after like 10 of these, <laughs> and after 10 of these, it became a joke because we knew exactly what we were gonna do. We are just gonna share the gospel every time. Share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel. Do the work of an evangelist. Share the gospel. Endure suffering. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. What's up, buddy? It's good to see you again. Welcome home. You're ashore. I've missed you. Sorry, I just saw somebody I haven't seen in months. <laughs> Fulfill your ministry. What does the word fulfill mean? It posits there's an order out there, right? There's an order to be fulfilled. Fulfilled indeed. Fulfill your ministry. And you see the word your? Your ministry. Your ministry. In the Coast Guard, out at sea, months at a time, welcome home. Your ministry. I mean, there, it might be, it might be I'm not a prophet, I'm a drummer. 
it might be God's will that you start a church that fills up CenturyLink Field. Six services a weekend. It might be. It might be. Or it might be God's will that you move to Uzbekistan, live in a hut, try to start a church that doesn't get off the ground, and a generation from now, a young church planter finds your notes and builds a church, and it grows. That might be, God, that might be your ministry. Fulfill it. Don't look at somebody else's ministry numbers and say like, no, 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 that, that, they're really fulfilling their ministry. I'm not fulfilling mine. No, no, you fulfill your ministry. Where God has called you, fulfill it. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy. Fulfill your ministry. This whole passage is not a theoretical exercise. It is literal, and it's applied right here and now. I preach the word to you, and I know if you, you my skeptical friend, you've got itchy ears. All right, my, my friend who comes from a, a, a background with prosperity gospel teaching, you've got itchy ears, and you want me to tell you that God's gonna, God's gonna prosper you, and there's a check in the mail, and he's, he's just gonna financially bless you, and everything's gonna be great, and you're gonna be exempt from suffering forevermore. I know you want me to say that, but I can't, because John 16, is clear. In this life, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I know you, you've got my, I mean, my LGBTQ friend, you got this, I want you to tell me, Pastor Jesse, that God's okay with homosexuality. But Romans 1 is clear and he means it. And 1 Corinthians 6 is true and he means it. What should I do? I've been commissioned to preach the word to you. Jesse, I've got, I've got these itchy ears, I've got this itch, and, and I want you to tell me that God's okay with me cheating on my wife. But the wages of sin is death. That's what the word says. I cannot scratch that for you. I must proclaim the word of God to you. You got this itch. Jesse, I got this itch, and I want you to tell me that I want you to shape doctrine around personal preference and sculpt it into views that are compatible with our culture's narrative so I can tweet about Christianity without being embarrassed of it. But you need to submit to the fact that God breathed out scripture. God breathed it out. Okay, God can handle criticism. He doesn't need an image consultant. He doesn't need you to do PR for him. He's told you to preach his word, not yours. Let us not water down the gospel because diluting the Bible is diluting the hope that sinners have, sinners just like us. Let the people in our lives not be shocked when they stand in judgment before God like the ones described in, in Matthew 7. Go to your grave with a clear conscience because you did not misrepresent the Bible to people who needed to be confronted by it. If they wish to live in rebellion against God's word, let them at least do so having heard clearly from you as you show them both the warning label and the antidote, the inspired word of God. Now fulfill your ministry and be not haunted at your grave with the ministry that you could have done. Let us not be haunted by the ministry that we could have done. Rather, fulfill your ministry. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season.